Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Rosie. How are you doing, Rosie? I'm good. Today has been a day full of dedication towards the pod. Yeah. So I'm very in pod mode. You've accomplished a lot. Thank you. On the podcast today. You're right. Rosie wrote her very own Patreon episode. So that... A rare gem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that will hopefully be up by the time this is released. And... Yeah, I look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Also, we haven't done our house tour yet because we're waiting for something else to show up. But then, yeah, look out for that too on, over on Patreon. So before we get started, we want to congratulate the winners of this month's Patreon t-shirt giveaway. Woo! Caitlin and Mike. Yay! Thank you, guys. We appreciate your support. And watch the mail for a package from us. Um, if you're curious... We just started doing this, but we now randomly select one patron per month to send a free VOV t-shirt. The way we do it is we arrange them all in alphabetical order, do a random number generator to pick a number between one and whatever the total number of patrons we have at the time is, and then we use the random number, go down the list, and it tells us which patron won. Mm -hmm. And if someone who already won gets picked, we'll just roll again. So it's pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Pretty fair, I would say. Yeah. So, I'm excited to start doing this. Yeah. And we'd love to see you post your pictures with your new shirts. Yeah, seriously. If you want to. Especially if Don't you're like... to tag us if On you Instagram, do. I was just going to say. Like, tag us so we can see. No pressure, though, if you don't want to. Um, so, should we share a quick five-star review before we jump into the story? Yeah. Sounds good. It's entitled, You Are Great. <laughs> You both are a great team. You are doing a great job at being the voice, as well as reminding viewers of all the missed opportunities so the listeners can be more mindful and report if there is any kind of concern. Thank you both. Keep up the good work. Rosie, consider a dog. They are an amazing addition to your family. Just consider it. Smiley face. (laughs) That's from Shellbear32 from the US of A. Thank you, Shellbear. Awesome. Thank you. I... Still am not completely swayed on <laughs> the dog. I just love my little kittens. Your brother has a dog, and he likes it. He does. He has adopted a massive pup because he's married now, and she had a dog. We didn't think we could make it work in the house we were living in before, which is where he lives now, but they put in an invisible fence, and it seems to be working pretty well. Yeah, not bad. So... Hmm. Maybe it is on the table someday. Maybe. I would love a nice little sweet husky. (laughs) This episode of Voice of the Victim podcast is supported by Best Fiends. Right now, there's a lot going on that might be dragging us down. A lot of us have more free time than we're used to, but a great way to fill our time, we've found to be Best Fiends. Yeah, doing a little puzzle here and there just to get your mind off of things. It's been nice. You guys have heard us talk about them before. It's a fun app-based puzzle game that helps us unwind after talking about these difficult topics. We were just playing it after finishing up writing a couple outlines. Mm -hmm. Um, The story you're listening to right now, obviously very much a doozy, and it was nice to... Unwind on the patio with the soft spring breeze. And get our minds off of the terrible things that we were researching. Exactly. So that's what we love about Best Fiends. It tells a story in the world of Minutia that's both very casual and engaging at the same time. I say casual because compared to Rosie, I'm not as active. What level are you on, Rosie? I'm currently at 295. 
and I'm on level 80. I don't know why there's such a big difference. <laughs> I think you might just be better at it than me. <laughs> I love puzzles. And this one's so low stress that I don't feel pushed to keep it up like mm-hmm. daily or hourly. So this way, I'm way more inclined to do it because I don't want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Isn't that dumb? <laughs> but it's so true. Another nice thing is that you don't need to be connected to the internet to play or progress to the game. So it saves your progress even if you're not connected. And on top of all this, the game's really nice to look at. Features a lot of bright colors and cute characters. And they update the game every month with new levels and events so it never gets old. Yeah, I'm working on a little event or challenge, we might call it, called Grandma's House. All I have to do is a few things on a checklist, and then I get keys in return. And I really like it because there's a grandma bug and a grandson or granddaughter bug on a front porch, and they talk to each other in little bubbles, thought (laughs) bubbles. So she says stuff like, "Um, it's okay to be single. I like how you notice all those little details. They're easy to miss, but it's kind of cool to find them. Mm -hmm. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. You won't regret it. We're going to jump back into this story that we've been telling for the past two weeks. I guess this is week three. Mm -hmm. So go back and listen to episodes 106 and 107 if you haven't yet, because this is part three. So last week when we left off, Chris was in the middle of an interrogation, and they could tell he was starting to crack, and he got to a point where he asked to talk to his dad. When his dad came in, Chris told them that he had failed the polygraph test and that the police were probably not going to let him go. And the look on his dad's face when he hears this, it's like he just got punched in the gut. He was distraught, frustrated, looking around like, like, what do I do now? After a long pause, he turned to Chris and asked, is there a reason why they shouldn't? So even his dad's trying to realize Chris might be responsible for hiding something here. Chris told him that he came clean about having an affair. But then his dad asked if there was anything else Chris needed to tell them. Then Chris started to open up. He said, When we had that conversation that morning, it was emotional. I told her about the separation and everything like that. Then he paused, and his dad asked what happened after that. Chris said that he went downstairs but then he paused and shook his head like he just couldn't bring himself to say what was on his mind. He started to say, I want to protect her, as he shook his head. Again, he said, I want to protect her. There was a pause, and his dad asked again, What happened? Again, there was a long pause, and Chris finally whispered, She hurt them. His dad was shocked and asked, She hurt them? Then Chris said, I hurt her. So Chris is saying that he hurt Shanann because she hurt the kids. But right off the bat, it's like, what motivation would she have to do that after how important her family was to her? Chris went on to say she strangled them, but then said, I didn't hear anything. After I went downstairs, I came back up and they were gone. So Chris is saying... After they argued about the separation, had that heated discussion, Shanann got so upset that she took it out on the kids. But, sadly, what he's saying here means that the girls were no longer alive. His dad was getting more and more stressed out, realizing what this meant. And Chris told him, I don't know what else to say. Like, I freaked out, and I did the same thing to her. Those were my kids. He said he came upstairs and Shanann was on top of Cece and Bella was gone. He said that they were both blue. So he's claiming Shanann did this to their kids and he acted to avenge them? Why did he wait so long to say this? Like, Why would he want to protect the person that killed his kids? I guess, you know, it's a complex situation that I can't understand, but... This doesn't make any sense. And also, I looked it up and found that 
It takes the body 20 to 30 minutes to turn blue after losing oxygen. So why would they be blue while Shanann was still on top of one of them? Like that, it's just another detail that doesn't add up. But for now, no matter what really happened, like we talked about last week, this is enough for the police to work with to, you know, start mm-hmm. working towards finding them. Because it's, it's a lot more progress than they ever made. After hearing this, Chris's dad was so distraught. He took Chris's hand saying, Good God Almighty, son. I feel really bad for him. It would have been really hard to hear this from your son. Then he told Chris, We'll hire a lawyer and see what he can do. As soon as he said that, Tammy Lee, the detective who gave his polygraph test, walked into the room and put her hand on Chris's back, rubbing it and asking him if he was okay. Now, to Chris, this may have felt like she was telling him everything was going to be okay, you know, but in reality, she was just trying to get his attention off of what his dad just said about the lawyer. Obviously, they didn't want Chris to lawyer up yet because he still hasn't said where they are, and they wanted him to help them find the girls. Again, these are little details that Derek Van Shake pointed out in his video mm-hmm. that I think are really interesting. Speaking to the um, how good these detectives are at their job. Now, FBI agent Coder was right behind Tammy. They sat down and got comfortable with Chris. Then Tammy asked, Can you tell us what you told your dad? Chris went on to tell them the same thing he told his dad, that Shanann strangled the girls and Chris avenged them. Tammy asked him where the girls were, and he told them that they were at his work site for that day. Now, we want to warn you, these next few things are really disturbing, but we're going to keep it as sensitive as possible to the situation. Um, So Anadarko, where Chris worked, was a petroleum company, and the work sites he traveled to had these huge oil drums, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 feet tall, I would say even bigger than that. Giant oil drums. Chris said that Shanann was buried in the ground just off the corner of his work site. And the girls were each lowered into an oil drum. And police were able to find them. And we owe that to Detective Lee and Coder for their amazing work, which we covered last week. Because they really paved the way and prepared Chris for the conversation he had with his dad here. Which led to them being able to find the girls which led to justice because after finding them, they had more evidence to work with and they were able to determine that Chris was lying about this little, you know, vengeance against Shanann Mm -hmm. and he was responsible for all their deaths. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but now we're going to shift focus a little bit to talk about the months leading up to this and... Chris and Shanann's relationship. So as we mentioned in part one, Shanann had taken Bella and Cece to North Carolina to visit her family for five weeks in June. Chris stayed home to work, but there was a lot more going on during this time than what we shared in part one. And you may be wondering what the police found on Chris's phone when they took to search it. So now we're going to walk through what happened in their relationship between the time she left for the trip and the disappearance, based a lot on his phone evidence and some other interviews. Shanann arrived in North Carolina on June 27, 2018. She noticed that Chris had started to feel more and more distant. She didn't feel as close to him or as loved as she was accustomed to. Yeah, they were a super tight couple. Remember those YouTube videos that she made? Yeah. Or the one, at least, where she was talking about how amazingly lucky she was? Yeah. Seems like... This is a far, far cry from that. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that later. A couple weeks later, on July 10th, they had been talking on the phone, and things seemed really off. Later that evening, she texted him and asked if he was okay, because it didn't seem like he really wanted to talk when they were on the phone. She told him, I wish my husband wanted to talk to me. Ugh, it's really sad she felt that way. Like... Your mate's supposed to be the closest person in your life, and if you feel alienated from them, Mm -hmm. that would be so frustrating and 
especially if you're trying to communicate and they're not reciprocating it. Like, ugh, it sounds awful. Mm-hmm. But of course, Chris just downplayed her concerns and blamed it on work stress, telling her everything was fine. But as we know now, based on his phone records and later interviews with his mistress, there was definitely a reason Shanann's intuition was telling her something was wrong. Nicole Kessinger worked for a company that was contracted by Anna Darko, the company Chris worked for. She told the Denver Post that she met Chris in June, and phone records show that she was added as a contact on June 14th. She says they started dating at the end of June. Which lines up with the time that Shanann noticed these changes in Chris. On July 14th, while his wife was in North Carolina, Chris went on a date with his mistress to a museum in Boulder, Colorado. Nicole told police that she wanted to take things slow with Chris, downplaying their relationship. But when they searched his phone, they found some very spicy messages and voicemails between the two of them. They also found semi-nude photos of Nicole on his phone, dating as far back as July 18th. So, a month after they met, which I guess wouldn't be that odd if he wasn't married... Seems like they aren't really downplaying the relationship. (laughs) Right. But things got even more intense. It turns out Chris had a fancy calculator app on his phone, which sounds really boring at first, but this is no average calculator. When you open this calculator, you enter a passcode, which unlocks a vault of secret photos and videos that are hidden from your camera roll, so you can select photos you don't want anyone going through your phone to see and put them in there. And sorry if uh, you become suspicious and want to look at your mate's calculator app now, (laughs) but (laughs) the police technicians were able to get past that, and they found he had been transferring photos into that app even while he was on the phone with Shanann, like... There'd be call records, and during the time he was on the phone with his wife, he was sitting there transferring photos into the app to hide from her. So he was pretty detached from their relationship. Oh, yeah. And this explains a lot about his motives. (sighs) Well, soon after this, they went on a weekend trip to the Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve. And this is Chris and Nicole, because this is all when... Shanann is in North Carolina. And I guess that Nicole had a credit for a free stay at a Holiday Inn. So it sounds like they used that for this weekend and got a free trip, basically. The idea of dating a married man with two little kids and a pregnant wife seems to have started to bother Nicole around this time. Because shortly after this, she actually Googled the phrase, Man I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife. So... Well, you know, doing some research. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's interesting, because it was obviously bothering her, as it should. But it's also interesting, because she claimed in interviews that she fully believed Chris was just wrapping up a mutual divorce, and that he was free game. I don't know why she would Google, man says he will leave his wife, if she believed that they were actually wrapping things up anyway, because why would she be worried about it? I can't help but think that maybe there was a couple glasses of wine involved with that. True. That's just a really... insecurities. Yeah. Well, she seemed to imply that she thought he was fair game, and I just thought it was interesting that Mm -hmm. she'd be worried about whether he was actually going to leave her if she thought that they were pretty much done with the separation. Yeah. Well, another interesting thing is that she was apparently really serious about Chris and wanted to get married. On August 4th, she spent over two hours shopping online for wedding dresses. Chris was becoming more and more distant as time went on, but Shanann wanted to fix things. The more she thought about it, the more she realized she wasn't getting back from Chris as much as she was giving of herself. She sent him a text on July 24th saying, I realized during this trip what's missing in our relationship. It's only one-way emotions and feelings. I can't come back like this. I need you to meet me halfway. You don't consider others at all, nor think about feelings. I try to give you space, 
But while you're working and living the bachelor life, I'm carrying our third child and fighting with two kids daily and trying to work and make money. It's not hard texting love you and miss you. If you don't mean it, then I get it. But we need to talk. I kept looking at my phone all night and no response from you. Like seriously? We didn't just start dating yesterday. We've been together eight years and have two and a half kids together. Ugh, frustrating. So Shanann really wants to get things back on track. She sees that something's off. And it really sounds like he was having a rough time communicating with her honestly because she's clearly really frustrated with the uncertainty of him not responding to her or telling her what he's thinking. You know, like, that's frustrating when you know something's wrong, but they won't tell you what it is. And that would be really hard, especially when you're across the country. I mean, that just adds a whole mm -hmm. new level of frustration to this because you can't talk in person. And sadly, these words seem to have the opposite effect on Chris from what Shanann intended. Yeah. The very next morning, Chris Googled on his phone when to say I love you for the first time in a relationship. Like, what is up with these people and Google? I know, like, aren't they in their 30s? This is stuff like 14-year-olds Google, you know? Like, that's funny. But it seems like everything Shanann said was an in-one-year-out-the-other type of thing for Chris. But he was probably looking at Shanann like she was just nagging him all the time, and he probably was stressed out with work. But... Shanann was still working, too, while she was on her trip. It's not like he was the only one working and she was on vacation. And she was also taking care of the kids at the same time. I do wonder if he resented her success and freedom to be able to travel like this. But I'll get into that later. Hmm. On July 31st, Chris flew out to North Carolina to join his wife and daughters for the last week of the trip. What a guy. You would hope that once they were in person, they'd be able to communicate better. Maybe have a chance to get some tension out, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but things didn't get any better. They were, there were more text messages that Shanann sent to Chris while they were both in North Carolina that showed just how frustrating she, frustrated she was growing with the way he was acting. On August 4th, she texted him, from the day I left, you never said I missed you before I said it. Something changed when I left. You may be happier alone, and that's fine. You can be alone. This pregnancy, you have failed to acknowledge it or to acknowledge how I'm feeling. He responded, I'm sorry for the way I've been acting. It's just been in my head, and I haven't been right at all. She replied back, I don't know how you fell out of love with me in five and a half weeks. So, man, can we give her some credit here? I mean, yeah. he's treating her like crap, and she's keep she continues to make an effort, you know? Well, she, he's, he's so aloof. Like, she's kind of giving him an out, and he's just like, oh, it's fine, fine. Right? It's super, super annoying. Yeah, that is another thing, um, is that if he would have just been honest with her, how much trouble it could have prevented but again, I'm skipping ahead of myself here. Um, but just the fact that the way he was acting, he was not earning her love, you know? Like, to be in a good relationship, it's give and take. You need to continue to nurture it mm -hmm. and maintain it. You can't just expect it to be there. And even though he was acting super aloof here and barely giving her anything to work with, she kept trying to fix it and trying to be there for him so that's just something that speaks to their character but like traveling out of town like this it was nothing new for them she did it for work a lot you know she's out of town and he was home alone but this might have been the first time she actually took the kids with her and he got a real taste of the bachelor life and maybe he decided that he wanted again mm -hmm. you know but dude, you're a father and a husband. You gotta take responsibility for that. Um, something interesting I've heard other experts say about Chris is that he's a narcissist, which is pretty obvious. 
you'd have to be to cheat on your pregnant wife, but also that he's a psychopath. Um, I guess narcissism is one of the many facets of psychopathy, but I want to talk a bit more about this later. Um, I don't want to get distracted from the main story, so I'll save it for later, but Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that. Shanann started turning to her friends for help, telling one of them that Chris had said he was happy with just Bella and Cece and didn't want another baby. The friend tried to reassure her that everything would be okay, but Shanann said, He's changed. I don't know who he is. Which is so sad in retrospect because she could see things changing but had no idea what he was capable of. Things got so bad for them that she ended up canceling the gender reveal party that they had set up. And we should mention the baby was a boy and she had named him Nico. Oh, I like that. And Shanann had felt terrible after learning that Chris didn't want baby Nico. Which would be earth-shattering, because imagine how sad it would be once Nico was born and while he's growing up. Shanann would always have that nagging in the back of her mind that Chris didn't want him, you know? Mm-hmm. She texted her friend, I told him last night I don't feel safe with him after what he said about the baby, and if he loves me, he would hold me and tell me it would be okay. Give me something, and he did nothing but go to bed. She also told her friend that she figured maybe if she got intimate with Chris, it would help things. But when she tried, he rejected her. Ouch. And fed up with everything, Shanann asked Chris if, if he was having an affair. But he told her he wasn't. How do you feel about that? Well, it's just like, the, like she knew. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's what's so frustrating is, like you said earlier... She's giving him an out here, Mm -hmm. and he obviously wants out of the relationship, so why not be honest and just rip the band-aid off? Yeah, like, honestly, all she wants is just to know what's happening. Yeah, so she can move forward with her life. And it could have completely changed the whole outcome of this story if he was just honest with her in this moment, you know? Yeah, it's true. Shanann didn't fully believe Chris, though. Up until she left for North Carolina, they couldn't get enough of each other. They were madly in love. But he had become a completely different person. As we know, Shanann left on August 9th with her friend Nicole. And hopefully it was already clear, but the Nicole that he was cheating with and Shanann's friend Nicole are two different people. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that while Shanann was gone, he actually hired a babysitter for a night saying that he was going to a Colorado Rockies game with people from work. But he actually just met up with Nicole, his mistress. But Shanann wasn't giving up. She was hopeful after he agreed to read a relationship book she bought on Amazon. She was also looking to couples counselors in the area, and even had a weekend trip planned to go to Aspen, just the two of them for a romantic weekend. She even had a letter written that she was going to read to Chris when she got home, expressing her feelings about the issues that they were having. It said, Can you please tell me something? Because, just like you, I'm in my head. I try to fix things and make them better, and this is making me crazy. I know that you need time, and I want to give you what you're asking for and respect your space. I need some time. This place that I'm in, in my head, is not a good place. It is not healthy for me or Nico. I need you to help me help you. I need you to give just a little bit of what I did or didn't, so I'm not going crazy in my head to figure it out. I know I can't fix this by myself. That we are going to have to work together. So Shanann really wanted to be on the same team as Chris here and work things out. She even told her friend that she knew she wasn't blameless in the relationship. She said, Sometimes I can be bitchy and he gets that side of me. I know I tend to make him feel like he isn't able to do things because I have control issues. (laughs) So do I. So she was actually taking responsibility for herself, though. Like, she wanted to work on the things that she knew she struggled with. But obviously Chris wasn't on the same page. And it really speaks to the character of both of them again. 
Neither of them were perfect, no one is, but she was willing to take responsibility, communicate, and make changes. And he was shutting her out. Like, no matter what issues you face, face in a relationship, the only way to get over them is to communicate. And if you can't do that, mm-hmm. you'll never fix it. So it's just sad to see the effort she was making and that he didn't care. But if you're like me, you might be wondering what, if anything, his mistress Nicole had to do with all this. And I was curious if there was any premeditated discussion between the two of them or if Nicole had been complaining about his current family being a problem for them. Hmm. Well, police were also curious about this and they ended up bringing Nicole in for questioning. A detective asked her if she had ever said anything to Chris that would imply that she felt his kids or his wife were a problem in their relationship. She said no, and she even ended up crying during the interview. At this point, she was probably the closest person to Chris in the world, you know, like the one he'd be most likely to open up to because, you know, she was... In his mind, she was his future. He was done with his old family, you know. But turns out, according to her, she was just as blindsided by the news of what happened as everyone else. When she first learned his family was missing and heard his story in Sai's news interviews, she got a really weird feeling. She saw the inconsistencies and odd behavior just like the rest of the world. And she even interrogated him herself pointing out those inconsistencies in his story and demanding answers. That would be scary if you suspected that this guy may have dispatched of his own family and Mm -hmm. then confronting him. Well, maybe she Google searched what to do first. That's a good point. (laughs) She was shocked by his lack of emotion and even more shocked by his ability to lie. She ended up calling the police that night before he was officially arrested, to report her suspicions. Yeah, so that says a lot. The person that, you know, would give him the biggest benefit of the doubt is still suspicious. So, the detective from last week was right. Chris is a terrible liar. He was charged with the murders, and on November 6, 2018, Chris took a plea deal where he could avoid the death penalty and just get life in prison for a guilty plea. Yeah. So, the last two weeks, we talked a lot about um, the evidence that led to Chris being arrested, his stories that just didn't add up, and he was the only one who left the house that day. So, he tried to blame Shanann, saying that she strangled the girls, and, you know, his stories were just all over the place, and... There were so many different ones, it's obvious he was lying a lot. But again, we just want to give you a warning, listener discretion advised, because there are children involved here and what happened to them is so awful. But the day that he was sentenced, the autopsy results were released to the public and they showed that Shanann was strangled, but each of the girls were smothered. So without being too graphic... Being strangled is when you suffer asphyxiation by the neck, and being smothered is asphyxiation by the mouth. Again, another detail that Chris really couldn't keep straight. In March of 2019, Chris did an interview where he gave a clearer picture of what happened that night. He talked about the heated discussion they had at that morning. He said that their conversation went all over the place, between splitting up to staying together. Then he started talking to Shanann about how he didn't feel like they were compatible anymore. He asked her to cancel the romantic getaway she had booked for them in Aspen. The conversation took a violent turn when he told her he didn't love her anymore, and he climbed on top of her, pinning her down, and then choked her to death. He claimed that she didn't fight back at all, And then he insinuated that she was probably praying for him. He even quoted a scripture about forgiving sinners because they do not know what they're doing and said he thinks that's what she may have been praying. 
And this was right after he claimed that he didn't want to do the things that he did that morning, but felt like he had no control over the rage he was in. So he said, he actually said it was like someone was behind him, forcing him to choke her. And to me, it's so obvious by what he's saying here that he's a narcissist. Like those little comments he makes to make himself feel better, not taking responsibility, saying that he didn't have control, and then implying that she was praying for him, and that's why she wasn't fighting back. I don't know, Chris, maybe she was just in shock that the love of her life could do this to her. I mean, a couple months ago, you guys had a perfect marriage and family, and now it's all falling apart, and you're attacking her. Mm. Like, I mean, can you imagine the shock? It sounds like... Like, if, in, if I just suddenly, like, it started ignoring you, and then I attacked you physically, can you imagine the shock you'd be in? Even after you, I had given you, like, a million outs... And right. you still ignored them. I don't buy his story at all. I feel like it's just something his lawyer told him to say. You know? <sighs> he says that after Shanann was gone, he didn't know what was going on. He was shaking and didn't know what to do. He continued to say he wasn't in control. And that it's easy for people to play Monday morning quarterback and say that they'd know what to do in a situation but they don't know what was going on through his mind at the time. That's what Chris said. And I fully agree with that notion. It is easy for me to play Monday morning quarterback and say how ridiculous everything he did here was. And I can't understand what he was going through in his mind. And <laughs> I'm glad, because it would scare the crap out of me if I did. After this, he says Bella came in and asked if Mommy was okay. He told her that mommy wasn't feeling good, and after that, he brought Bella back up to her room. So, again, we want to give a warning here because these next couple minutes of what we're going to share are awful, and they involve the two little girls as well. So, listener discretion advised for this. Then he carried Shanann downstairs and backed his pickup into the garage. He loaded Shanann into the truck. Then he went back inside and got the girls out of their room and put them in the back seat of the truck. And this is what we saw on the neighbor's security camera. So at this point in time, the girls were alive. Shanann was, you know, in the back of the truck, no longer alive. But the girls just rode in the back seat of their dad's truck like they didn't know what was going on. After this, he drove to his first work site of the day. When he got there, he unloaded Shanann, leaving the girls in the truck. He buried her in a shallow grave on the edge of the site. Then he walked back to the truck and opened the back door where the girls were. He put his hands on Cece's face and held her until she was gone. Cece was only two years old at this point, and... Can you imagine? Can you I, imagine for Bella? That's what I was going to say. I don't understand how he could do that with his other daughter watching. Yeah. How could this monster be so calloused and uncaring and Ima sociopathic? Right. Imagine this night for Bella. First, she walks in on her mom unconscious and has no idea what's going on. Then she watches her dad kill her little sister but after this he took Cece out of the car leaving Bella alone and brought her over to one of the big oil tanks so Cece is or Bella is watching all this happen to Cece mm -hmm. after this he went back to the truck and when he got there Bella asked are you going to do the same thing to me that you did to Cece I don't even know what to say. That's heartbreaking. Chris says he doesn't remember if he answered her before doing the same thing to her that he did to Cece. So, 
It's just such a cold and horrifying thing to do. These were his little girls. And this was hours after he killed his wife. He had plenty of time to realize that he didn't need to do the same thing to Bella and Cece. But he did. And for Shanann, he can claim it was a crime of passion in the heat of an argument. But what he did to these girls takes him from a murderer to an absolute monster. Like, right. To They're... be able to look them, look at their faces, and mm-hmm. just put his hand on their face. and It really takes the case to a whole new level of, you know, like you said, it can be a crime of passion, but to do this to your children hours later, like, I don't understand how you could even, I don't know. I don't, I'm happy he told the police what happened to his little girls, but at the same time, I don't even know how he could say the words. Well, and that's the thing, is even when he was describing this, he was... He wasn't emotional, which, you know, I guess everyone handles things differently, but the way he could just talk about it, and I guess he did show some emotion at certain points, but when he was talking about this, he was just so matter-of-fact. And I just, I can't imagine being able to think back to doing this with your own hands and being able to get the words out without breaking down. like, Because he saw them. He saw the little girls and the looks in their faces before he put his hands over their mouths. Mm-hmm. And it is worth noting that this is all according to Chris, and there's still a chance he could be lying about some of the details because he lied so many times before this. But this account is the one that actually lines up with all the evidence they found. And I only bring this up because we mentioned last week that the dogs hid on a spot at the bottom of the steps and in an unmade mattress in the basement. So who knows if there was more to the story. We already know Chris is willing to lie to make himself look better. So maybe... The story he told in March is the sugar-coated version. Who knows? He's told so many versions, so we really don't know what to believe. But some people theorize that he may have hid in the shadows when Shanann got home that morning and ambushed her at the bottom of the stairs. Again, there's really no evidence to prove this besides the dog hitting on that spot. Mm -hmm. But... We'll really never know what happened because the only person that does know what really happened is a compulsive liar. Right. And it's just, sorry, it's still bothering me thinking about what he did to his girls at that work site. So why the heck would he do this? Um... I mean, that's a big question that always comes to mind, especially when we have such a clear picture, you know, what he says happened to these girls and to his wife. And I just want to share my personal theory based on what I've seen. And Rosie, I'd love your thoughts and input as I go. Okay. But, you know, we talked about that Facebook video where Shanann was talking about how he was there for her during the toughest times in her life. Remember, she'd gotten in that car accident after going into a diabetic shock, and she had really hit rock bottom in her life. But she said, in her own words, she said in a Facebook video that he was the best thing that ever happened to her, Mm -hmm. which seems insane now after what we've just talked about. But she said that he helped her climb out of that dark time. Well, I'm thinking maybe as she expressed her gratitude for that, Being the narcissist that he obviously is, he let it go to his head and started to see himself as her hero. Mm -hmm. But then when she started to really take control of her own life and became so successful with her business and as a mother, maybe he started to realize that he wasn't her savior anymore. Mm -hmm. He was losing his dominant hero role over her, which could be why he started looking for validation elsewhere, because... As a narcissist, he wants that 
Right. Someone that almost worships him, you know? Maybe he felt a little bit of resentment towards her. Or at first felt a little resentment and let it grow and grow and grow into a hatred that he just couldn't hide anymore. Yeah, and I'll get to that. So, obviously, after he told her that he didn't want the baby and wanted to separate, she would have been really distraught. And what we see is that she wanted to work things out instead of giving up. But it still would have been like a knife in her heart to hear that. Um... But then she went on this trip to Arizona, and she got back really, really late, around 2 a.m., and he had to get up really early for work that morning. So I'm thinking maybe she woke him up to talk about their relationship, and maybe he got really angry because he said he got up around 5 a.m. every day, and possibly... You know, that's why he flipped into this rage because he was mad that she woke him up and wanted to talk about the relationship because we know they had that heated discussion that morning. Or, like that theory, maybe he waited up for her. We don't know. But it's already a tough situation when one mate needs to get up for work early and the other mate's getting home super late from a trip. You know, and add on top of that the pressures of the impending separation. Maybe when they got into this fight, in his heart, he already just despised her for having the freedom to go on trips, the resentment of her success, and that she was getting home so late when he had to get up so early. And then add on top of that, that he was cheating on her and falling in love with someone else and falling out of love with her. You know, all that stuff combined, I just think that could have been a factor is that he was jealous of her. Mm-hmm. And that she was able to have a lifestyle where she could go on these trips whenever she wanted to because she was kind of self-employed, mm-hmm. um, working for a direct sales company. And I mean, maybe he was annoyed that she wanted to try to work things out when he knew that he wanted out of the relationship. It's just so yeah. many things that him as a narcissist would have interpreted as an annoyance Mm -hmm. or an attack on him Mm -hmm. because that's what narcissists do everything's about him you can hear that when you listen to any of his interviews Mm -hmm. everything comes back to how it affected him like even after when he was describing the moments after he knew he killed his wife it was all about how panicked he was and how he didn't know what to do it's it wasn't about, I can't believe I did this to my wife. Right. No, I see where you're coming from. I was going to say that too. I think because of where he was in life and being so wrapped up in his own emotions and being the narcissist that he was, that any type of kindness that she was showing towards him, because he just wanted out so bad, even though she wanted to make it work and tried to give him an out, he saw it as a complete annoyance. And the resentment grew and grew and grew up to a point where he just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. And he snapped. Yeah. And so you put it really well in a much more um, distilled way than I did. So thank you. (laughs) But, I mean, what he did to her is so unbelievable and nonsensical. It'll never make sense. And I'm absolutely not saying that any of her actions led to what happened. Chris is a monster and most likely a psychopath. This is just, everything I just said is just what went through my mind while trying to make sense of this, even though it's a senseless act and there's nothing that can make it make sense. Um, But now, I kept bringing up that Chris might be a psychopath, which I heard from other people, more professional than myself, but I want to share this interesting checklist I found on discovermagazine.com because... um, There are apparently 20 things psychologists look for when diagnosing a psychopath. And I'm obviously not an expert. This is just a snippet from discovermagazine.com. But Rosie, will you read that? Mm -hmm. The checklist 20 items include glibness, superficial charm, grandiose sense of self-worth, need for stimulation, proneness to boredom, pathological lying, conning, manipulation, Lack of remorse and guilt, shallow effect, callousness, lack of empathy, 
parasitic lifestyle, promiscuous sexual behavior, early behavior problems, lack of realistic long-term goals, impulsivity, failure to act to accept responsibility, many short-term marital relationships, juvenile delinquency, and criminal versatility. <laughs> you did pretty good with that. Versatility. Dang it. <laughs> and uh, impulsivity. Right. I think you what did said I say? Impulsivity. Oh. I think. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. People know what you mean. <laughs> but, I mean, we've seen so many of these traits with Chris. The superficial charm. You know, when he first met the police officer, he ran up for that handshake. Mm -hmm. And then on the news, he was... You know, trying to act like he was concerned. And then grandiose sense of self. Obviously, with everything he says, he's so focused on himself. Right. Pathological lying. Literally every account he gave up until maybe the last one was a lie. Then the lack of remorse. Again, he went through all these interviews and everything and didn't even think twice about being honest. Right, yeah promiscuous sexual behavior he was cheating failure to accept responsibility again what i just said about the lack of remorse so from the very start even to months after being in prison he's still looking for ways to not take responsibility and he's lied so many times like the fact that he would say <laughs> say that shanann was probably praying for him quoting the scripture about wicked people not knowing what they're doing and mm -hmm. like equating himself with someone who just didn't have control over what he was doing. I'm obviously in no place to make a diagnosis. I just, I think it lines up and I think it's fascinating to try to understand these things. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I am not a fan of Chris Watts. <laughs> so the last thing that I want to talk about in this episode is the Rusick family and just some harassment that they've faced. Completely unfounded harassment and so unfair to them. Now, this is Shanann's parents. So, Rosie, do you want to get into that? Mm -hmm. Following Chris Watts's confession, there were still a lot of people out there that believed that he had been coerced by the police department into a false confession and that he was actually innocent. <sighs> I understand the desire to be skeptical in cases with no real evidence or answers, but in this case, his confession led to the discovery of the bodies. I'm not sure what the conspiracy theories are about it, because honestly, I don't want to give them the time of day. But obviously, he knew where they were. Mm -hmm. He obviously had something to do with it. But there's an even bigger problem here, because... Shanann's family has actually been targeted by online harassment because of it. This is just terrible. Within the first 11 months of the murders, the Rusick family got so much hate from strangers around the world who were fans of the man that murdered their daughter and granddaughters that they had to reach out to law enforcement for help. Law enforcement tried reaching out to the social media platforms that these bullies and trolls were using, but ultimately, there was nothing they could do. Frank Rusick even started reaching out to big media companies for help to pre put pressure on law enforcement to put an end to cyberbullying. I can't imagine their frustration here after losing their granddaughters and daughter in such a terrible way and then having these freaking jerks reach out to them like this and bully them and harass them like how low of a person do you have to be to harass the family of someone who died like this I, it's after all they've already been through like don't you have something better to do how inhumane i know how careless can you get but the other part of it is you know, Facebook and Twitter, all these massive social media platforms, they have hundreds of millions of users. I think Facebook officially has over 1 billion users. 
So it would be nearly impossible for them to censor any messages like this. Hopefully someday there can be some kind of option you can select in your personal account where you can select certain trigger words that will filter a message that might contain certain words and they'll be held for review before delivering. But with one billion users, this might be unrealistic. I don't know. I mean, the other side of it is what YouTube has been doing, where stuff is so heavily censored and freedom of speech is being affected to a point where real conversations about difficult things can't happen anymore. Don't get me wrong, I think censorship is great to a certain point, but it needs to be intentional and deliberate. No, removing truly hateful things, not banning attempts at honest conversation Mm -hmm. just because it represents a different worldview. But it can't infringe on the rights of free speech because then it could end up doing more harm than good, taking the nuance out of the conversation and misrepresenting what someone is actually trying to say therefore causing more miscommunications and leading to more anger, resentment, and ultimately divisions and violence. So that said, the real issue here is that there are some really truly terrible and cruel people out there who are attacking this poor family. These people have been through enough. They're already in so much pain. And whoever is attacking them is either really disconnected from reality or just a truly evil person. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess the bottom line is, don't be a jerk. Like, How simple can it get? Yeah. Like, just be kind. Like, I can't imagine what type of person would think it's okay to harass this family. But then again, there's a lot of people out there I can't really understand. And, and there's also a lot of um, people that do suffer from mental conditions that don't that force them not to think clearly and not to see the world right but Chris on the other hand was so calculating and so deliberate in his actions and in his cover up Mm -hmm. so I can't feel bad for someone like that no I no can't either (sighs) anyway if Shanann's family hears this series at all, I'm so sorry for what happened. Um, and I hope that we did a good job being sensitive to the coverage of the story and, you know, because they've, they have endured a lot. And, yeah, I don't know what else to say. But thank you guys for listening to our three part coverage of the Shanann, Bella, and Celeste Watts story, mm-hmm. and Nico. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just another thing that makes this terrible and worse. But do you have anything else to say before we wrap up, Rosie? <sighs> no, that, that's a pretty, pretty downer. <laughs> yeah. Pretty big downer. So, if this is your first time here, um, we are on Instagram at VOV Podcast, and you can email us at VOVPodcast at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook and all that stuff. So if you want to reach out to us, you know, just search Voice the Victim Podcast and you'll find a way to get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, we ended on such a downer. It's just ever since we talked about the girls in the car, I still haven't recovered. Like, it's such a bummer. But... I will say, I am pretty excited about the episode that I wrote for Patreon. Oh, yeah. So, for those of you who are patrons, make sure you check it out. And for those of you thinking about becoming patrons, I hope that this episode will entice you. Do you want to give a little teaser about what it's about? We're talking about the North Sentinel Island. Oh, that's the island that, no, like, it's its own separate society and no one can go to? It is this bizarre island where the people living on it are, like, completely cut off from the world. And they haven't been a part of the world forever. So, like, the type of tribal people that you think of from a long time ago, they're still like that. They've got spears and loincloths and they have grass huts. And they try to kill anybody who goes on their island. 
And it's still around. And so we're going to talk about what's happened to people that go there and a really recent huge thing. I don't want to give it away. That happened a couple of years ago. Oh, it was just a couple of years ago? Yes. Wow. So if you haven't heard about this island, I would really, really encourage you not to look anything up about it, <laughs> but instead just listen to it with a fresh mind because it's really mind boggling. And I would like to be the first to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of censorship, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, that sounds really interesting. I'm really excited to record that. We haven't recorded it yet, but it's probably out by the time you hear this. So mm-hmm. I think it will be. Go listen to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully it'll help lighten the mood after talking about this story. So, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.